This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. This is our latest edition of Incentives and Instincts, a recurring series in which I speak with economist and friend Bryce Ward about some of the broader challenges facing our society. Let's pick it up where we left off last time, talking about AI and creativity with my University of Montana College of Business colleague, Eric Guzik. Bryce, uh, uh, my assumption is that sort of pause letter that a bunch of tech CEOs put out, I don't know, six, eight months ago saying, we just need to pause investment and development in AI. That, that doesn't seem like a workable solution or tactic. In your view, like if we're concerned about the human condition and the people that um, are going to be disrupted in a variety of ways, like if you could wave your magic wand as a policymaker, where would you start to try to manage some of the downside? You need to ask yourself, is this increasing the marginal product of humans? And if so, in what ways? And if so, with what's the distribution? Right? Is it only improving these people at those? You know, so what's the you know, what are the what are the trade offs at the prosperity level for humans? So this is just the labor market. Yeah. Right. Then you got to ask the the second level of question. Okay. Well, what does the labor market with this technology look like in terms of opportunity for people to thrive as humans? What does society look like to, as an opportunity for people to thrive as humans? You know, if we are continue to narrow the set of things where humans can contribute. And if I'm correct that people need to feel like they're contributing as part of just their own well-being, then what's the opportunity for them to contribute? Yeah, that right. contribution point is something I think about with AI. I mean, it, it, it seems like predicating a lot of this on the desire and need for people to have a job and to, I mean, certainly we need to provide for our own needs and you know make an income in our current conception of a society, but you could conjure a world where and I, you know, say we have a 40 hour work week, you could conjure a world where an AI may be harnessed and designed in such a way to take that down to 30 hours. And then what are you going to do with that other 10 hours? There's a lot of scenarios where that could be really good, but I don't know. I'm not optimistic. We have the ability to engineer that. And that's the, that's the second part, right? The second part is you have to then ask at the social structural level, well, A, how are the returns from technology shared? We didn't get to gains from the industrial revolution without political fights. Yeah. The initial thing of factories was to take autonomous work where you did at home, you know, I was like a weaver at home and I had a kind of control over my life and I made a certain amount of money and we shoved everybody into dirty, disgusting cities and factories and they were kind of miserable for the better part of a century. And at risk. Right. Yeah. Until we got public health movements and union movements and, you know, other things which kind of then created some form of shared prosperity. We also have to then on the other side say, okay, well, if I gave you more leisure time, right now I can tell you what people do with more leisure time. They sit at home in front of a screen or they sleep more. Right? Those are the two biggest changes that have occurred in American life for the past 20 years, according to American Time News Survey. We sleep 40 minutes more per day and we spend another hour a day relaxing right? Which is basically just, you know, that's the overarching category for video games and television. The relaxing stuff that we're doing does not generate meaning and does not generate happiness. It doesn't seem to contribute to health either. Right? Like and it doesn't not, seem to contribute to health. We're not becoming healthier. Right? We are not exercising more. We are walking our dogs more. Huh. Um, like that is something that has changed. Um, <laughs> because we have more dogs? or because I, We, we have more time. dogs. I think okay. that's what it is. So, you know, I mean, that's the question, right? And this is a human programming thing, right? Like, 
in theory, we should be able to create humans who are like, you know, this is John Maynard Keynes wrote about this a century ago. By now, we were all supposed to be working 20 hours a week and thriving and, you know, enjoying all this kind of stuff. And we, you know, we somehow haven't got there. But, you know, in theory, then, yeah, absolutely. This would be the great thing. We would all have, we would all be freed up to find other ways to form a community and, you know, find ways to contribute. We have to make sure that AI isn't going to become the Terminator. We have to make sure that it's not going to allow criminals to become better criminals because then we're going to be taking all the gains from AI and putting it into security. So mm-hmm. we have to then decide, well, what do we want AI to, how does AI going to help make us more productive? Right? So that creates, yeah, the new, the, the creative part of creative destruction, right? We want to make sure that the creative part is bigger than the destructive part. And in fact, we want to make sure the destructive part is pretty minimal, uh, particularly over the long run. But you know, how do we do that? And, you know, if we get the creative part and we get those benefits, well, how do we then train humans, create institutions in society so that we all, or at least, you know, a large portion of us are better off as a result? Eric, do you have some thoughts on how we manage as a society? The pause button doesn't appear to be a workable solution. I think when we look at AI as a productivity tool and now begin to look at as this creative system it does create some interesting opportunities, right? So if we look at how is it going to impact the economic system, if it's productive, it does create the opportunity for more leisure. There's no doubt about that. And if it's able to replicate what we do during work, if we handle this appropriately, it's going to create new opportunities that we did not have even 50 years ago to create more free time and leisure time. So part of this is a question of culture and institutions and rules and regulations, which again, every economic system um, has to consider. With that said, I think what we're also looking at with the emergence of creativity is how much time have we spent as a human species trying to develop this within our school systems? And I think one of the interesting things that's come out of this research, uh, number one, folks will ask us, well, are you sure you can define creativity? I didn't realize there was a definition. Well, we've defined it for about 50, 60 years in psychology. We may not agree with the definitions, but there are hundreds of definitions of creativity. Then the second question is, well, even if we can define it, how in the world are you supposed to evaluate something mm. like creativity? And we've developed methods to assess and score creativity as well. And a TTCT is one way of evaluating creativity. With all of that said, you will not see creativity evaluated within most school systems. It's not a skill taught within elementary school. I certainly did not learn about it in elementary school or high school. I had to take an enrichment program to understand about thinking creatively. So it's, it's been interesting, that reaction about, well, will this replace what we currently do as creative beings? I am someone who will promote from you know every mountaintop how important creative ability is for us as a human species. I think, again, it's the driving factor behind the modern economic system. Uh, with that said, we spend very little time within our school systems promoting, developing, and assessing creativity. And that's, of course, the whole basis of Ken Robinson's, right? His TED Talk that became so famous. Of course, he argued not only we're not promoting creativity within our school systems, we're killing it, right? To use the language that he used in his TED Talk. So uh, what I would hope would happen, let's understand, number one, how important creativity is. And if it really is, maybe if this is an example of AI replacing something that's important to us, I think we have to spend more time understanding what it is and more time developing this within our school systems. Yeah, I mean, that kind of takes us back to some of these default assumptions that we operate with in society. I mean, one is that 
and you described this when you initially conceived the research that you expected that something was going to have to break. And one of the things that could break was, do our measures of creativity actually capture what it is? I mean, have you considered that? Do you still consider the TTCT to be a good measure or is creativity something different? Where do you land on that? I think it does very well at measuring what's often called divergent thinking. So that ability to generate different types of ideas. I'm not sure right now there's a better tool for measuring divergent thinking than the TTCT. We don't know, at least through our research, if AI is able to discern through its different types of output to come up with a relevant and useful solution. So at this point, at least, I'm going to give us humans a little bit of hope here. We can work with AI maybe have some different types of output that are generated by AI. We can help evaluate. Maybe that triggers new creative ideas, right? That would help us brainstorm new solutions. And right now, we would need to evaluate that output, apply it. And then again, we can apply our values and think, well, is this something we do want to see implemented in whatever area we think requires creative thinking? So in terms of what doesn't the TTCT capture, it doesn't really capture the complete creative process of discerning and evaluating, judging different ideas. Now, I will say the TTCT, for any of the responses to be marked as valid for fluency, flexibility, and originality, the responses have to be relevant to the task that's been given. But there isn't that final decision, let's implement this idea as our new product, or let's implement this idea as maybe the underlying cause of our problem situation that we're facing. So um, that type of convergent thinking, where we're now trying to work from many ideas to that one very useful solution that is not captured by the TTCT. There are other forms of evaluation that could be tested, and I think that's where we're going with our research next. Let's see if we can try to capture the entirety of the creative process using AI, find out what it's good at, uh, maybe what it's lacking, and then see if this becomes a tool that we can use uh, furthering some of our creative objectives. Question that comes to mind for, for, for me, Eric, is some lore about creativity depends on these stories of happy accidents. So I think of post-it notes, right? Um, you know, a misprint, the glue bled onto the paper and the admin staff were using these post-it notes that were basically scraps from the, the paper making process. And these, this was considered this wonderful innovation. And, and you hear about this over and over again in, in the scientific process and the entrepreneurial process. Does that happy accident reality kind of translate into this notion of the prompts we give? The AIs, because that's one of the things I think about a lot as an instructor is like AI is only as good as the prompts you give it. How do you think about the potential for accident and the role that plays in creativity? Yeah, that I think notion of creativity, which I think gets the aha moment, that epiphany where that idea seemingly comes out of nowhere. I think number one, that's one thing we as creators enjoy so much about the creative process. And number two, I do think it shows that is that uniquely human process of creating a new type of output. So there are models and processes of creativity which I think understand the creative process of requiring that unconscious moment where we give the ideas an opportunity to snap together in different configurations. We're not completely aware of those configurations as they happen, but when that new combination appears, that's where that discernment becomes so important. So very often, we need time to be creative to allow that process to work. So the human creative process, gathering information, gathering knowledge, having an objective, right? 
putting as much information together as we can, beginning to look at new combinations that are interesting. So if we look at uh, music, for example, very often musicians jam, they come up with interesting sequence of notes, you know, they'll go back to it later and say, well, could this be a song? And sometimes they'll say, well, there's enough here to get started, but that's not the song, right? It's a mm -hmm. creative idea, which then they take and they have to add things around it. So the song, Don't Stop Believing, right? So I love hearing about the creative process because uh, either it's going to, you know, maybe uh, jeopardize some beliefs I have or maybe support them, but I always love learning, well, how did they develop this thing? So Don't Stop Believing. So it starts with uh, the final chorus, Don't Stop Believing, Don't Stop Believing. So that's where it starts. So now Steve Perry is saying, well, how do we lead into that? Because that's the end of the song. So they actually begin the song at the end and they're working backwards. So he said, well, let's just come up with some lyrics. And he's trying to think of lyrics, right? And he's saying, uh, well, we have these street lights. Um, and he, he says to Neil Sean, well, can you make your guitar sound like a train? Like, okay, I'm going to start doing that. And that's where that little riff comes in, where he's kind of building up, building up, building up. And that's one of the parts of the song that's memorable, right? So they're crafting the song bit by bit, and they're adding creative pieces together, which is another example of creativity, right? Adding former creative output together in a new way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what makes these really iconic songs so interesting. There's so many levels and layers of creativity that go into the process. We talk about that aha moment, that uh, you know, fortunate circumstance of ideas snapping together a certain way. For us human beings, it does take time for unconscious for those ideas to appear. And there's a process that I think is so rewarding for us. For whatever reason, we enjoy creating that newness. And to go back to that topic of leisure, um, it would be interesting to see if AI does begin to simulate some of the creativity needed in the workplace, does that give us more of an opportunity during our leisure time to be more creative? And I think that's what we saw with many kind of manual types of work that were replaced by machines. What do we do today in our free time? Well, we do walk dogs more. But we also, you know, we work out. We, we engage in physical exercise. We run more, right? Right? We uh, run marathons. So there's no reason why we can't begin to apply our, you know, need to be creative during our increased leisure time if that becomes one effect of AI beginning to, you know, be more productive in the, these areas. However, AI is developing its different ideas by combining old ideas and knowledge in new ways, we have to imagine a process is different than what we human beings have done historically to develop new ideas. That, I think, would be interesting to research a little bit more. What process is AI using? How is that different than a creative process? And potentially, how can these work together in the future? We'll be back to my conversation with Bryce Ward and Eric Guzik after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hi, this is Steve Albini, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm here with Bryce Ward and Eric Guzik discussing AI and creativity. You guys are both educators. You're in the business of shaping minds. How do you teach young minds, given an uncertain but looming possibility of a massive disruption? So the modern economy is super complex. That's what globalization and specialization do. They make things very complex. And why creativity is so valuable in a complex economy is because complexity creates lots of very unique problems mm -hmm. that we need creativity to solve. 
the college educated workforce for the past 40 years has basically been specialized in coming up with the creative, the creative class, you know, to solve the complex problems of the modern economy. Now you got, you know, and so we had a whole process of college education. The returns were high. They stayed high. They even grew been plat plateaued for a while. Um, you guys are in the front lines. What does it mean for you as teachers to teach in a world where an AI cannot just regenerate, regurgitate knowledge, but be creative? I guess the way I've been thinking about AI in the classroom is I've been trying to think a lot about, well, what are the jobs of the future? How are the jobs in the future going to be asking our students to use these tools and trying to create assignments and tasks that simulate those sorts of job tasks? So using the AI to help them write a memo, using it to help them conduct uh, an analysis and the the core of the assignment being the prompts that the student has to generate, the evaluation of the efficacy of those prompts, and then the evaluation of the work product that that ChatGPT or Bard or whatever other tool they decide to use spits out. That appears where I'm at right now. I don't know how that. I mean, Eric, you're an expert in this space. You, you're a pro at designing these sorts of assignments. How does that jive with you? I mentioned earlier entrepreneurship, such an important part, I think, of developing a new and different product that satisfies the need is thinking creatively. Yeah. So the way I look at this, um, if there are students who have some of those other abilities that we know are so needed for entrepreneurship, they're risk takers, uh, they're comfortable in ambiguous environments, uh, they can communicate well, they can present their ideas well, but maybe they don't have that creative ability that others have. Normally, we would want to you know, form teams, fit individuals together with complementary skill sets, including a very creative person, let's say, with someone who understands the marketing and, you know, understands the demand side of any market. This might give students an opportunity to have a partner that can generate those, you know, ideas that are novel and unique. So the way I've been approaching this, let's use this as a tool and technology. Let's see if we can generate different ideas, again, using AI as a creative tool rather than just a way to summarize information or respond to an essay. So in terms of how it's, I think, affecting how we teach, at least in my classes, um, it's a new tool that we're going to incorporate into that idea generation process. In terms of how we assess what we do in the classroom, I think it's forcing us to become more creative in how we assess what our students are learning and the skills they're developing. It's difficult now for me to see myself giving an essay type exam for a midterm or a final, um, unless you ask more on that midterm or final than you did in the past. Let's use AI this way, compare your responses to AI. That seems a little bit contrived to me. So I think it's going to force us to you know, try to use AI in a way that you said is going to help students uh, when they graduate, that it's probably a little bit more authentic uh, and useful, and I think more real life in terms of how those you know types of ai uses uh, are developed i think that's going to be the practical change that we see at least in the classes i teach let's make this a real life scenario where we use ai help students develop those skills that they need and this is the reality they're going to face and i think maybe cover those issues like do we need to at least think about putting some guardrails on how we develop ai you know, in terms of the values we use as business, why is that important? Let's begin to think about character and ethics. Just because we can develop this product, does that mean we have to? And I think the big thing is, are we truly satisfying a need? 
And that's, again, I think an issue every startup has to face. Is there a true need we're satisfying? Uh, if we can begin to incorporate the tools like that, begin to ask those questions, I think that's how it's going to change You know how we teach courses like entrepreneurship. I mean, a thought that occurs there is so much in the examples that you brought up before, Bryce, about previous you know, attempts to suggest that a technology is the greatest thing ever. We just have an inability to have enough imagination about what these technologies could mean. I mean, that could be a role for an AI, right? Can the AI help us imagine unintended consequences that we might not be able to foresee given our blind spots in our own thinking? I, I, I don't know how the, uh, the system might do that, but that's potential deployment of an AI that could be additive rather than displacing. It could be used to address a historic human deficiency rather than take away from a current human ability. I do have one more question. I'd love to get both of you on this. So Eric, as you're describing, you know, the entrepreneurship process, and, and this is the theme that kind of ebbs and flows in education, that is specialization. You know, should you be a generalist or should you be a specialist? Um, and at different times and different classes and different disciplines, the thinking varies. When we think about these tools, do you think the successful individuals of the future will specialize more and rely on the AI for the things that they are not as specialized in, or will you be more of a generalist? I don't really know where this goes. Bryce, do you have a thought on that? There's always a need for both, typically, right? And frequently, at least according to one recent paper, the specialist, the person who specializes their education, typically does better immediately because they specialized in something where there was high demand. Right. Immediately monetizable. It's immediately monetizable. Right. The generalist struggles initially, but because they have general skills, they grow faster, right? They're able to kind of be creative and find their way into the niche and rise. And, you know, so the rate of growth tends to be higher. And so the specialist in some sense, eventually has to go back and become a generalist if they want to rise out of the specialist role and into general management. And the generalist has to become a specialist because they have to pick whatever it is that they're going to succeed in. So you need both in some sense. And I don't think, I mean, I don't know enough about what AI is going to do to the demand for labor. My main concern is that it just supercharges superstar effects. And superstar effects we already see with entertainment right? Which is, you know, my talent is scalable. I am Taylor Swift and I can put out album after album and everybody can stream it all at once. Uh, I'll do this concert tour, which only some people will go to, but then I'll put it in movie theaters and whatever, you know, and everybody can go see sure. it. You can just um, capture so much money. And I can capture so much of the market, right? And that means it's much harder for others to break through. And we've dealt with superstar effects in entertainment for a long time. My fear is that superstar effects will come to professional services. They will come to computer programming. They're already there to some degree. And you'll have a smaller number of people serving a larger number of needs. Now, I don't know what that means for investment in education in general, whether or not it's generalizable or specialist. If it really is super disruptive and it changes a lot of stuff. I don't know what to tell someone to do to invest. The, we've disrupted the model that's been the paradigm for 100 years. Eric, do you have thoughts on specialization versus general? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think even the classical economists, they understood there's going to be de-skilling with the development of technology. Adam Smith very famously said that. Like, you know, let's be aware of the productive power of this new economic system, but let's also understand if we begin to generalize the division of labor, it's going to create some de-skilling. We need to at least discuss what that means. I think if we apply this to creativity, and I'm, I'm going to try to understand this as kind of a complicated way to answer, I guess, how important the, the skilled versus maybe more domain general aspect of creativity is. We do know the more skilled you are, the more knowledge you have, the more connections you can create between more diverse ideas to create more original output. So there is that need for skilled labor, for skilled education, for development of domain expertise. And I think that cannot go away. In fact, if AI is able to make connections, it's going to become more important than ever to be very skilled in whatever discipline it is that you're applying AI. With that said, we also know the contradictory aspect of being skilled. Sometimes you rely on past rules, patterns, and you're unwilling to break those patterns. Mm. Yeah. And that's where very often you'll hear, well, someone from a different discipline, they come up with a new solution that nobody was able to think of. Well, that's the importance of more general uh, domain knowledge. And I think, again, it's, it's, it's a contradictory way of understanding how important, you know, skilled versus unskilled, more general knowledge is. And, and unfortunately, this is not going to be satisfying, but it's probably both. I'm sure. not sure one's going to become more important than another. It's going to affect both. And I think both are going to be increasingly important. I mean, I think in the short run, uncertainty invest, you know, augurs for investment, in my opinion, right? Like that's at least I'm a risk averse person, right? Like I want to like... I want to have more general skills and more specialist skills. And I want to have the new AI skills. Like, you know, you've got to have all of it so that you're can piece together whatever it is. Cause you know, a niche will appear and you've got to be able to recognize it and then have the vision and then execute whatever it is. It's classic entrepreneur, right? Like I see the niche and I have the ability to execute it. If I don't invest in either general or specialist skills, I'm unlikely to see the niche and I'm definitely not going to be able to execute on it. All right. Well, gentlemen, I think we maybe opened up more doors than we closed in this conversation. <laughs> well, then but, our job is done here. Uh, exactly. That is often the point of this podcast and this series in general. Uh, Just Eric, go ask ChatGPT to close all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to type into the, uh, to the, to the chat prompt, like what is the, what is a creative way to wrap up this episode? Oh, there we go. And so far it hasn't really come up with anything better than um, my typical question to you, Eric, if folks want to learn more about your work, both in the classroom here at the University of Montana College of Business and your scholarship, where would you point them online? I would say visit our amazing website here at the University of Montana. And we do have some of our latest research posted um, on the website here for UM. Uh, contact me directly. You can find my contact information there. Love to collaborate on this with other researchers uh, within and outside of economics. Um, I think this is a topic that is interdisciplinary by nature. And I think as we begin to look at the challenges for truly effective solutions to be, I think, developed, this requires a multidisciplinary approach. It's not just economics, not just business. It's certainly philosophy. It's political science. Um, I think all of these different areas, we're going to have to try to, you know, understand what the implications are in a very interdisciplinary way. Well said. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Bryce, as always, and we'll see you down the road. Thank Thanks. you.
Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. Ella Hall is our production assistant. VTO, Jeff Amet, and John Wicks made our music, and Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.